Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who do not identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Forgive me, I'm late, but not as late as usual. I am recording on Thursday at 9.20 on West Coast time. Technically, it's my birthday on the East Coast. The birthday wishes have already started rolling in. My crush, he hit me up. I started drinking Mezcal about three hours ago, but I'm not drunk. I don't even think I'm tipsy, but I can't drive. Stay with me. (laughs) I was on Lori Harvey's Instagram page earlier today, and in her story, she posted this really cute picture of her and Michael B. Jordan, and he's biting her chin, and I screenshotted it. And if I'd had another round of mezcal, I probably would have responded to my crush with that picture and hashtag, this could have been us, but you playing. But I didn't have that extra drink, so I just said, thank you because I'm not quite as bold as I would like to be. I'm working on that. It's on my list of things to work on in my 42nd year. I should have been recorded this podcast earlier today, but I spent most of the day when I wasn't in the dentist's office. I got my elastics off, but I can't get my braces off for two months. They were supposed to come off in August, but now we're pushed till September, which is actually nine months. Because I was like, you said nine months. And she was like, yeah, and it is nine months. And then I realized that I counted wrong and had to take the bass out of my voice when I spoke to my orthodontist. But at least I'm out of the elastics and my mouth doesn't look like a construction site anymore. So that's positive. But I would have taped the podcast earlier had I not had an orthodontist appointment this morning and had I not spent most of the day packing for this odyssey. We've talked about this trip that I'm about to embark on starting Sunday. It's six cities, two countries, and I'll be gone for a month. I'm not taking a bunch of stuff, but the stuff that I am taking, I need to be, you know, cute and coordinated. This is ridiculous, but, you know, people ask me for travel tips sometimes. This is one of them. I color coordinate 
my travel clothes so that I don't have to take the full range of shoes and accessories. And in general, I have a capsule wardrobe. Like I'll deviate from it sometimes, but I only wear certain colors. So it does make it easier overall. But even when I weeded out my closet of the things that didn't fit in the capsule, I still have a lot of stuff. And I have to try on every single outfit. That takes like a significant amount of time. Like it literally took most of the day, which would have gone by faster had I not been drinking mezcal. But, you know, those are the choices that I elected to make on my birthday eve. The other thing that was holding me up was I made all these plans for this birthday trip, like all these flights, all these hotels, trains, buses, like the whole kit and caboodle, like have people flying in to meet me at different spots. I've got reservations at all types of restaurants and tickets to concerts and all sorts of stuff. Like I've reached out to all the people in the different cities I'm going to be in and, and set up adult play dates and, and the whole nine. I've mapped this thing out perfectly. And then people in LA started hitting me yesterday and was like, yo, what's the birthday plan? And I was like, oh shit, I didn't actually plan anything for my birthday. Oops. Not planning anything for my birthday last year and having such a sucky birthday. Like it was so sad. Like I cried on my birthday. It was like terrible. Because last year was so freaking terrible, I was like, never again. I will take control of my birthday. I will plan epic shit. So I planned out this really big ass trip and then forgot to actually plan something for the day. So my cousin, the one I drink tequila with, I talk about her from time to time. So my cousin, she planned out my birthday. So we do, so I do have birthday plans now. We're going to spend the day in Malibu. We're going to have lunch and then we may have a beach situation depending on the timing. But we will have a decadent moment that involves water and seafood and champagne. So I feel good about that. So I do have a birthday plan. It just, you know, it's very last minute. What else? Is there anything else going on with me? I have Usher tickets. My plan was to go to Vegas and buy tickets the day of when I was trying to get tickets to the Dave Chappelle concert last week. There was a Friday show and then the Saturday show that I went to. And on Friday, maybe two hours before the show was supposed to start, the tickets plummeted. And so I figured I could just fly into Vegas and pull off the same thing with Usher. Um, But one of my friends wanted to see Usher too. And she wanted to meet me in Vegas. She was like, I'm not comfortable going to Vegas, gambling on getting a good seat. She's like, I need my seat guaranteed before I buy a ticket to Vegas. So she was like, well, it's your birthday. So I'll just get you the Usher tickets. I think she was just sick of me talking about them damn Usher tickets, which I was like, look, If I have annoyed people to the point where they just want to buy me a ticket, I'm very comfortable with that. Like on general principle, I was not paying that amount for Usher tickets. So she looked out for me, which I greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate. (sighs) What is going on in the world? I have lots of notes, things to talk about. The first thing on my list, somebody sent me this earlier today. Um, She sent me a link to a fantasy fitness class in Maryland. There was a woman, she does several classes, and the one that the woman sent to me, because she was like, yo, you Maryland people. And I was like, what we do now? What we do now? But there's a woman, she's teaching you a class. It's called Riding for Rookies. You will learn basic eggplant riding techniques that will enhance your bedroom experience. Gain confidence and the skills you need to leave an impression the next time you know you do a little humpty hump. 
The classes are $35 per rider. She suggests that participants bring an open mind, but also a pillow and knee pads. If you would like to find more about riding for rookies, which I'm looking at the video, it looks fascinating. I think I'm probably, you know what, I'll leave that alone. My dad is listening, but the video, I know how to do most of this pretty well, but you know, you can always enhance your technique. If anyone wants to sharpen their skills, this might be a good class. This is occurring in Baltimore. The next class is July 11th. And by the way, this is not an ad. I just find it fascinating. It's a whole bunch of respectable looking women in upscale workout clothes, <laughs> humping pillows. <laughs> it's very ratchet and respectable in a very sunny room. Okay, now they're twerking on pillows. Oh no, I don't know what that's called, but that, that's good knees. That's like Meg knees. Okay, that's a good class. I'll see if I can find this class during my odyssey. I would love to pop into one of these. That looks fascinating. You can find out more about riding for rookies or if you are not a rookie and just need some, you know, updates. You can find this information on at Fantasy Fitness MD on Instagram. We have good black news this week. Quite a few beautiful things. I read the new edition, all six members including Bobby, including Johnny, have signed with CAA, which is a big deal. And they are putting together a Vegas residency for new edition in 2022. Now that I know Vegas is a quick drive or a quick cheap flight, if I plan in advance, I'll be popping over there more often. Like, oh, there's a new restaurant. Oh, there's a show. Oh, I'm bored. Vegas might become more of a thing. But I absolutely will be popping up. For new edition. That's exciting. I don't know that I've ever seen new edition live. I'd like to think I'll remember that, but that is quite exciting news. I want to give a shout out to my dear friend. I've known her for years and years and years, Mitzi Miller. I saw an article in Deadline. She told me this a while ago, but I couldn't say anything. She was just hired by Warner Brothers as one of the vice presidents of drama development. She, along with Jonathan Harris, also black, as a pair, they will be spearheading the creation of new one-hour scripted drama series for all platforms, including WarnerMedia's HBO Max, as well as external streaming services, cable channels, and broadcast networks. They will work closely with WB's stable of writers, and they will also be responsible for finding new talent, material, and intellectual property to turn into television drama. Now, I met Mitzi years and years and years ago when she was an editor at Honey Magazine. I don't think I ever got a chance to write for her, though. But she had a column similar to the one that I would eventually have in Essence. But she would do, like, random experiments, go on dates with people. I remember one of them, she put on, like, a um, pregnant belly and went out in the city and, and was talking about how people reacted but her, her column laid the foundation for the way I approached um, my column at Essence 10 years later. So super, super happy for my mitts. She's a really good friend and a really great person and a really smart, smart woman. She has great insight and good taste. So I'm excited to see what projects that she will be bringing to the table. So congratulations to Mitzi and, and to Jonathan Harris. I don't know Jonathan, but I root for everybody black. So congratulations to him as well. The friend circle is doing really well this week. Davida, 
I talk about Davida all the time, and I'm like, Davida should really come on the show. Davida's going to come on the show. She doesn't know this yet. Davida's coming to Mexico with me. She's going to be stuck with me in a different country for at least three recordings of the podcast. Davida's going to end up on at least one episode of the podcast. But darling Davida, she, um, in addition to her tours that she does to Ghana, she also has a skincare company, Caitlin and Ottawa. It was recently featured in H&M in New York. H&M just had a campaign um, buy from a black woman tour and Davida's skincare line was featured in H&M. Remember Amani Bashir? She came on the show to talk about being black and Muslim, but she was talking, but she came on the show to talk about, I want to say it was right after France had banned Muslim women, I want to say under 18, so Muslim girls, from wearing head coverings. France's idea was that, that, that their religion was oppressing women. And Imani came on to talk about like, no, like my choice to cover my hair is about my personal relationship with God and my choice to be modest. It's something that I want to do. She was like, my father, nor my husband, or nor any other man is forcing me to cover myself. I like it. <laughs> I want to do it. She's one of my favorite interviews, but she was also featured um, as part of Buy From a Black Woman campaign. She has a line of luggage and travel accessories, um, and her signature piece is this three-in-one waterproof duffel bag. It's really, really cute. There's also a backpack that's really cute, and the backpack is a really unique shape. It's very cute, but she was also featured in this campaign. Oh, I'm looking at her Instagram page now. She has um, leather luggage tags and also passport covers. But congratulations to Davida and Imani. This is kind of a big deal. Imani posted this video of her crossing the street at Fifth Avenue and walking into the H&M store and seeing people. I'm looking at the video now. I'm about to tear up. But seeing people purchase her product. And there's one woman who's looking at her bags and she makes the connection between the picture of Imani, which is next to the bag, and then Imani standing in front of her. And it's just like, it's a moment. It's, 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 it's really cute. But you know me, I'm like a sappy cancer. So I sat and cried about it because, you know, that's what we do. So congratulations, Imani and Davida. I'm so happy. I'm also happy for Naomi Osaka. She's on the cover of Time. She wrote an essay. And I think the pull quote from it that everyone's talking about is, it's okay to not be okay, which yes, yes, that is important. More people need to know that. It's great to hear from her. It's great to hear from her in her own words. She starts off talking about how divided the world is and how people argue about things that don't really make sense, like wearing a mask or uh, showing support for anti-racism. She writes that when she said that she didn't want to do press conferences and was willing to pay the fine not to do them, she had no clue that it was going to become such a big thing. Um, and she points out that over her tennis career, she's probably missed like maybe one big press conference. And that she's also given more time to the press than many, many players over the years. She has no problem with the press, but she was like, specifically, press conferences are set up really weird and they bring up a lot of shit and they need to be changed. I'm paraphrasing. What she said specifically was, quote, 
the press conference format itself is out of date and in great need of a refresh. I believe that we can make it better, more interesting, and more enjoyable for each side. Less subject versus object, more peer-to-peer. She also says, quote, I can't imagine another profession where a consistent attendance record would be so harshly scrutinized. And she suggested that organizations across the board should give athletes the right to take a mental break from media scrutiny on rare occasions without being subject to strict sanctions. She adds, quote, in any other line of work, you would be forgiven for taking a personal day here and there so long as it's not habitual. You wouldn't have to divulge your most personal symptoms to your employer. There would likely be HR measures protecting at least some level of privacy. In my case, I felt under a great amount of pressure to disclose my symptoms, frankly because the press and the tournament did not believe me. I do not wish that on anyone and hope that we can enact measures to protect athletes, especially the fragile ones. I also do not want to have to engage in a scrutiny of my personal medical history ever again. So I asked the press for some level of privacy and empathy next time we meet. The next time they meet will likely be in the, at the Olympics. Naomi has pulled out of, I want to say she pulled out of the French Open and then she didn't do, there was something leading up to Wimbledon and then she also didn't do Wimbledon. But she is going to reemerge for the Olympics. She said that she's very excited to play in Japan. Oh, this is important. She says that she is uncomfortable being the spokesperson or face of athlete mental health. She says, quote, it's still so new to me and I don't have all the answers. I do hope that people can relate and understand it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to talk about it. There are people who can help and there's usually light at the end of any tunnel. She added that she spoke to Mike Phelps. And he told her that speaking up may have saved a life. And she says, if that's true, then it was all worth it. I like Naomi. I like her lots. I think that's a very good essay. She said just enough, not too much. Clearly, there's a good publicist on hand. Good for her. I wish her the best. I wish her success in Tokyo. I've never been to the Olympics. It's not necessarily a bucket list thing to do, but it's something that I would like to do. You know, it's going to be in L.A. What? Four years? Eight years? It's coming back? We'll see. But good for Naomi. I'm glad she seems to be doing better. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. 
or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I An official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov slash extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. In interesting black news, I don't know if it's good or bad. I, I, I'm, I don't know how to qualify I saw a video of Juvenile and Manny Fresh. And when I saw the video, I thought, you know, somebody had just posted, you know, back that ass up. And then I began to play the video. And it is not back that ass up. It's a new song. It's called Vax That Thang Up. It is an ad for a dating app. They better have cut Juvie and Manny a good check for this shit. All their debt better be paid off. Children's college funds better be fully stacked because they have desecrated a classic. It's horrible. And yet, I posted the video on my page. I watched it a good 10 times. Like, I'm outraged at various parts of it. Like, every time Juvenile says something about Vax that thing up, he makes this symbol with his finger and his arms like he's a heroin addict shooting up. And I was like, that's not quite how the vaccination works. Like, are, are you vaccinated? Like, you're making this song, but are you vaccinated? Because, you know, it, it goes in your shoulder, in the muscle, not in the vein, like, a, like an intravenous drug user. That's, that's not what the vaccination does. But, uh, okay, all right. It's a terrible song. He's rhyming about eggplant emojis. It's actually really bad, but also fascinating. Like, I cannot stop watching it. When I posted it on my page, some people were absolutely outraged and was like, why, how, why, why are they doing this? Why must they resort to these efforts to get people to vaccinate? And I was like, because mofos are not getting vaccinated. Even though like what the song is mostly about is if you want to date, vaccinate. You're meeting these new people, then you should be vaccinated so that, you know, you don't kill them while trying to fuck them, which I was like, that's a good message. It's just an interesting, you know, way of relaying the information. This is an all hands on deck situation. I've seen everything from like people are being offered trips, weed, free food, all sorts of stuff to get people to vaccinate. And I was like, I mean, you know, it'll save your life isn't the incentive that works. All these incentives to get people to save their lives. You won't die is not the incentive. You can get some free reefer. That's the incentive. <laughs> I was talking to one of my friends the other day, one of my guy friends, and I had asked him a hypothetical question from a man's point of view. Like, what's the best way to seduce a man? I was like, you know, subtly seduce him. And he was like, what are you being subtle for? Like, men, men don't really understand subtlety. And I was like, you know, just for the, the sake of the hypothetical, just answer the question. He was like, yeah, maybe you could, uh, you know, smoke some reefer. <laughs> I was like, how old are you? You're like 40. Reefer? Really? And he was like, yeah, he was like, smoke some reefer, or maybe uh, play some African music. You know, a lot of drums, get the hips swaying, some, some reefer. He's like, if there's any chemistry, things should be popping in no time. And I was like, I mean, you have a point. You have a point. 
We the people. We the people. What else do we see? We got news this week that Shikari will not run at all in the Olympics. She wouldn't have been able to run the 100 meter. She ran the 100 meter in the trials, and that's how she qualified for the Olympics. But because of her drug test, which showed she had THC in her system, and then the 30-day ban that was enacted, she wouldn't be able to compete in the 100 meter race. However, the ban would have been lifted by the time the relays came around. So there was a chance that she would be able to run, but Team USA, I don't know exactly what organization that is, um, did not select her to run in the race. There's a very active hashtag let her run campaign. Many people have pointed out that yes, she smoked weed, but weed is not a performance enhancing drug. And the state that she smoked weed in, it is very much legal there. So it wasn't like she was breaking a law. However, the rules of whatever the name of the track governing body is say you can't smoke weed. You can't have weed in your system when you're preparing for competition. And she knew that. She said that she knew that. And she smoked anyway. People are saying that, you know, the rules should change and and let her run. If they make the decision to do so, I think that's great. But also if they don't, you know, this isn't like something she didn't know going in. She made the choices that she made and you got to be accountable. You got to be accountable when you make bad decisions. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you only deserve bad things happening to you going forever forth. It just means there are consequences when you make poor decisions. I would love to see her run. I absolutely would. Um, but I don't think that there's some gross unfairness in not allowing her to do such under these circumstances. I saw Diddy wrote a long caption in support of Shikari on his Instagram page. He made a comparison to Michael Phelps, which I've seen a lot of times around the internet. Michael Phelps, if you remember, there was an image circulating of him hitting a bong and he was still able to compete in the next Olympics. And so people don't understand how is it that Michael Phelps was clearly smoking, but he was still able to compete in the Olympics. And to that, I point out timing. And Michael Phelps never had a dirty drug test. Like he hit the bong and somebody took a picture of it and somebody posted the picture and it became a media story. Michael Phelps never failed a drug test, one. And then two, Michael Phelps was suspended, I want to say for 90 days over that incident. And he lost a bunch of his endorsements because of that. It just so happened that he was in between competitions and the Olympics was years off when this incident happened. So it didn't affect anything. He got this three-month ban, but he wasn't competing for anything, certainly not the Olympics. So, like, you know, he got a slap on the wrist, like, to not compete when he wasn't competing, all because of timing. That's very different than Shikari smoking weed and testing dirty a month before the Olympics starts. That's a very different scenario. There are many ways that Michael Phelps, as as a white male, benefits in the Olympics, because, you know, white men benefit worldwide from being white men. But comparing him with Shikari, it, it, it doesn't line up. It's not the same thing. The details, the nuances matter. I wish Shikari the best. I want all good things for her. I want things to work out for her. What else is going on? Mrs. Gary Owens, Miss Kenya. Gary Owens' estranged wife. She wrote a, a, an essay Again, apparently she recently found out who Gary's, 
I don't know if the word mistress is correct. They are estranged, but Gary is still married. I don't know if he was seeing this woman. It's unclear from what Kenya wrote while he was actively engaging in the marriage with Kenya. But Kenya has found out about this woman that her husband was seeing and she let off another screed on Instagram. And she actually, she said, I don't care who you date and what you do. She also says something about him paying for sex, which I was like, you know, maybe illegal work, but it's, but it's consenting adults. It's not the scandal that it might once have been. But she was really upset. And so she was like, look, I've been married to you for quite a long time. Like, you spending my half of the money on dumb shit. I want my half. Spend your half. But she, you know, called him out and said a whole bunch of disparaging things. He still hasn't seen the kids. He's still not cutting her a check. Saw a lot of people being like, oh, that's probably why he left her because she's so awful. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of gaslighty. Like a woman's husband leaves her. The woman has an emotional meltdown publicly. And then people are like, oh, that's probably why he left her. And also, you know, they were married for 18 years. They weren't just, it wasn't 18 months. That shit falling apart will fuck you up. I don't think she's handling it in the best way. But I also understand that like, you know, it's an emotionally messy time. I extend grace to Kenya. And also, I think last time we talked about Gary, I was like, sir, can you just cut the check? Because what the woman seems to be most concerned about is the money. That and see his kids, which, you know, she's like, see the kids. Why haven't you seen the kids? And then come to find out, like, the youngest kid is 18. Not to say that you, you know, stop parenting once your children hit adulthood. Like, as a mother, your first role is to keep the children safe. Your second role is to advocate for them. Like, I get her. I feel her, where she's coming from. But I was like, sir, can you cut this check so this woman could get off the internet? Because her primary concern is the ends and dividends. Just cut this woman her check so she can stop this shit. You could end this. Because some people go through divorces and their partner is not about the check. Their partner just wants to cause misery and recklessness and pain and just as much chaos as they can. They're not happy and so you can't be happy either. How dare you fucking leave me? There's nothing you could really do about that one except go through the courts and eventually like, you know, a judge will end it. Kenya has given a solution. Run the check. Run the check. Gary could end this chaos if he really wanted to. Gary doesn't really want to, because if he really wanted to, he'd cut the check. When he reaches the point where peace of mind is worth more than whatever financial amount she's asking for, then he'll cut the check. Until such time that he does cut said check, I guess we're just going to have to listen to, you know, Kenya's marital woes and Gary's, you know, Shady clapback interviews and random t-shirts attacking his estranged wife and mother of his children. I'm going to have to pull out some Tabitha here. Like, I wish y'all could find some peace. I think that's what Tabitha would say. Tabitha would wish them some peace. I wish them some peace. I hope they could find it sooner than later. And, I, you know, sometimes I say things and people are like, oh, Demetria, you're so funny. I'm actually being really sincere about that. Like, just as, you know, someone who's been... In that situation, divorce is hell. I would not wish it on the worst of my enemies. I just hope they find peace. Being in constant chaos and um, uncertainty, uncertainty is just not a good way to live. It's a very painful way to live. So I hope that they can find a resolution sooner than later. Because they wildin', both of them. 
to you on the internet talking talking to, to the public, and he apparently isn't using any damn discretion. Like, sir, where is your discretion, sir? So we have an expert this week. Her name is Dr. Ruth Celestin. A couple weeks ago, I talked about there was an image that was circulating around the internet, allegedly, of several black women who were traveling from the Dominican Republic back to Atlanta because they had had BBLs. And someone took a video of what they described as more than 20 black women who had gone to the Dominican Republic to get their bodies done and now had to be uh, escorted via wheelchair off of the airplane because of their surgeries. And so it led to a wider discussion online about black women and plastic surgery and why so many black women are doing it. And so we talked about the catch-22 of this ideal of black beauty that is impossible for most black women to meet. Black women are disparaged both for not meeting it and then also for trying to meet it. When I talked about that, several listeners hit me up with their thoughts about, about that topic. And one of them is a cosmetic surgeon, Dr. Ruth Celestin, who is based in Atlanta. She is black and her clients and her clients, patients, are also mostly black. We talked about the, um, the Catch-22 and we also talked about um, the danger of going overseas to get your body done. So obviously, as a cosmetic surgeon, she is pro-cosmetic surgery, but she, wants black, but she wants to make sure that black women are doing it the right way and for the right reasons. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, please welcome Dr. Ruth Celestin to Ratchet and Respectable. Dr. Ruth Celestin, I'm so happy to have you on Ratchet and Respectable. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. Um, I was so happy. We, you listened to a previous episode where I talked about Black women and plastic surgery and BBLs and the, the conundrum of, of beauty standards. It's we want you to look like this, but we want it to be natural. But most people's bodies don't look in the, the beauty ideal. Then if you get work done, then that's a problem because where's your self-esteem? It's like, what? Yes. Yes. It's a complete catch-22. Like, well, So what should I do? Should I just sit here unhappy with my appearance and do nothing. Um, so yeah, I was listening to the episode and I was like, yes, like talking to the radio, like, yes, uh, <laughs> you're preaching, you're speaking my language because so many of my patients actually deal with this with their families and their friends when they make the decision to have plastic surgery. So I had to reach out. And, and this is a topic that's near and dear to you because you are in fact a black woman who is a plastic surgeon. Yes, both correct. And so this hits home. For me, absolutely. Why did you decide to go into plastic surgery? I originally went to medical school to be a pediatrician, but once I decided that was not for me, um, I thankfully did a surgery rotation next and decided like, okay, I like the environment, the teamwork, and discovering plastics, I was like, there was no looking back. I was like, oh my God, these people do art in the, in the operating room. They do artwork. And um, I've always had an interest in beauty and cosmetics. My mom's a cosmetologist um, and a nurse, and my dad worked for L'Oreal. Uh, USA for 35 years before retiring. So, you know, makeup, beauty, cosmetics, aesthetics has always been in my my DNA, I suppose. So marrying the two, being able to have this this medical treatment um, that actually improves aesthetics, improves form and function, was it was like a dream come true to me. I was like, I can't believe everybody doesn't want to do this. 
I think plastic surgery gets such a bad rap. I mean, across the board, but especially for Black women. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I think about it all the time. I talk about it all the time. Um, and I think I've concluded it has a lot to do, uh, you know, everything goes back to slavery and racism. <laughs> I know. Uh, it's so annoying, but it's so true. It's so annoying and it feels like such a default answer, but it's so true for so many of the issues that we face. Um, I think it, it has to do with, um, well, for one, until like the end of, let's say, the 20th century, right? Like 60s, 70s, Black women didn't really have the luxury of being so concerned with how they look. It was really more about survival for themselves, for their families. And so I think that um, concern with aesthetics or a focus on aesthetics has really been relegated to something kind of vapid, a vapid, uh, 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 something to be uh, absorbed in and not important as raising your kids, making sure they survive, making sure they live, making sure they um, get gainfully employed, et cetera. So um, I think it's also like we're, we're just catching up thanks to the legacy of slavery, segregation, et cetera, um, to being able to put our minds and our focus on how do we look? And have the finances to pay for it. Yeah, exactly. And as I was saying, once we actually got into an economic position to even be able to consider such a thing, right? And then add to that, I think, and this is funny, not to you know put anyone down, but I think the earlier, our earlier examples of what Black people turn out looking like when they have plastic surgery, I think mm-hmm. it kind of put us back a few decades as well, because you know, for example, the Michael Jackson nose, I get this a lot. Anytime I have a rhinoplasty patient, their first uh, comment is, I don't want to look like Michael Jackson. Like, <laughs> just tell me <laughs> right off the bat. God rest his beautiful, talented soul. You know, um, I think that was a very visible symbol of what it means when a Black person has plastic surgery. They look so much different than what they're, quote unquote, supposed to look like. And I think people, um, Black people as a whole, shunned it in part because of that, because we, you know, the flip side of that is, you know, coming out of all of those things and sort of getting into more freedom to be ourselves in the seventies and the eighties. I think we really embraced as a culture of like, you know, my black is beautiful and, you know, embracing your features and loving yourself the way you are. And there's this really strong movement to empower black people to love themselves. And I think that just comes head to head with the notion of, of aesthetic improvements by way, especially by way of surgery. It's like, well, why would you do that? You know, you're beautiful the way you are. Your nose is perfect the way it is. It doesn't matter if it's wide or whatever the thing is. Um, railing against what society kind of tells us is the standard of beauty for black people, um, you know, comes right up against looking at yourself and seeing something you dislike that you want to change. Now, when your clients come in and you're based in Atlanta, so I'm going to just go ahead and assume most of them are black. Mm-hmm. When they come in, what what kind of surgeries are they getting, and what are their reasons why? Yeah, um, my, across the board, it 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 differs, but um, most patients are, I'd say, um, moms or a lot of them are moms, professionals, um, people who have sort of put off self care for the better part of their adult lives, and they reach a point. If it's a new career, a divorce, a new city, there's some kind of change usually happening. Um, oh, I'm about to turn 50, I'm about to turn 40, um, a milestone that they're reaching, that they say, you know what, I'm going to do something for myself. This has always bothered me, and I'm going to finally do something about it. I was just talking to someone the other day, I think like the image of Black women who get plastic surgery are young women in their 20s, and they get like these excessive, I shouldn't say excessive, they get very large bottoms. 
um, right. and boobs. Right. But I was telling my friend who's like in her fifties the other day. And I was like, no one ever talks about that 45 plus market where you right. have the disposable income. Um, you've lived long enough. So your body might have some wear and tear where you don't look the same way you did. in like, you know, your late twenties, mid thirties, even, mm-hmm. and that's, who's getting it, but they're getting good work. So you don't look at them and yes. immediately think precisely. That's exactly right. Nail on the head. They are the overwhelming majority of my population, of my patient population is, is 40 and above because frankly, the finances just won't allow most 20 year olds. In fact, it's it's kind of like when we get a 20 year old who's, you know, paying at least my rate, I'm like, okay, that's impressive, girl. I'm, I'm impressed <laughs> like that you saved up all your coins since the seventh grade, apparently <laughs> to get this BBL, but let's go ahead and do it. Um, because yeah, most people arrive at this point when the kids are off to school or, you know, they're getting that certain level in their career and they have that disposable income and yeah and there's wear and tear on the body but the 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 key is that they don't want to look like someone else they want to still look like themselves just correct this thing that bugs them every time they get dressed every time they get ready to go out there's the assumption that women are having plastic surgery to please men um <laughs> like they want to attract men. They want to have really big asses so that men will come flocking and I don't know, treat them well and put a ring on it and live happily ever after. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it's um, really ridiculous. It's really lame. Do any of your clients say this? Like, you know, my husband wants me to have like a bigger ass or a flatter stomach or. No, it's rare. I actually, I mean, and I will say I screened for that in the initial consultation. So before I'm putting a knife to your skin, we've met twice. And so that gives me an opportunity to, evaluate your goals in that initial consult and make sure that you don't have what I would consider an inappropriate motivation to have plastic surgery, be it body dysmorphia or, you know, your boyfriend dragged you in here kicking and screaming because he likes big boobs. So we're going to screen that out from the beginnings. By the time we're at the stage of doing surgery, no, it's absolutely, in fact, it's the polar opposite. Most men, overwhelming majority in my practice, do not want their wives, significant others to have surgery. They like them, quote unquote, just the way they are. They don't see why they need to do this, et cetera. They need a lot of resistance and eventually they come around to support it because I educate them as well in the process and let them know, hey, this isn't actually about you, like at all. (laughs) Um, This is about her and uh, something that's been bothering her for a long time, ever since she, you know, finished having the kids. This pooch has been getting in her way. Don't you recall all the time she's been getting ready to get dressed and she's late because she's changed three times because everything she's put on doesn't help her hide this like lower abdominal area. So can we just fix it and let her move on with her life? And I promise you, she won't talk about it again. I'm, I'm giving you peace, sir. That's what I'm offering you. Exactly. I'm like, her abs and you peace. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Italian, in most cases, the reluctant partner will see how happy they are in the after period and actually come back and thank me. The ones who were like super resistant in the beginning and kind of mea culpa, like I get it now. (laughs) Yeah. So no, it is not for men at all. At all. Is, I mean, this is an invasive surgery. Like, you know, you're opening up the body whole nine yards. Um, There's a lot of, there are a lot of stories about women who have gone under the knife and, you know, they've died or they've had, um, you know, significant injury, things like that. Is this dangerous or is it a matter of I've gone to the wrong place? I would say both are true in certain contexts. Um, I think one of the things that people um, don't realize is that cosmetic elective surgery, there's nothing wrong physically or health wise, but I'm going to fix something is really only for healthy patients. That's thing one. 
So if you've got uncontrolled diabetes or high blood pressure or things like that, and your doctor isn't checking and screening for that stuff before surgery, that's a setup for a potential disaster. Um, and then any surgery comes with some risk, be it infection or bleeding or um, anesthesia risks in and of themselves. So, you know, even going in for a small procedure um, under anesthesia pretends some kind of risk to the patient. But that the part where you optimize the patient preoperatively really does away with a lot of the inherent dangers of any kind of surgery. And then that last part you said about choosing the right practitioner, choosing the right, I would say, board-certified plastic surgeon. Um, and yes, I'm biased in that <laughs> because I am one. Um, that's important to having healthy, safe outcomes because the bottom line is we are we're, we're stuck adhering to these rules. We are, we belong to these societies, these associations that check in on us, that, you know, uh, put us through rigorous examination process to even give us that sample board certification to make sure that we know not only how to, you know, suck fat out of people and do body contouring, but the full scope of plastic surgery, which is a really necessary foundation to have good outcomes when you're doing cosmetic surgery. So it really is important to vet your physician and make sure that they not only um, you know, have good a good Instagram that you enjoy uh, watching that you're entertained by, but that they have the proper certifications and training and, and then read their reviews. What else I look for other than board certified? You want to look for someone who does a lot of the procedure that you're interested in. Um, you know, if you if you're especially if you've never worked with a surgeon before, you don't want to go to a guy who only posts pictures of um, butts and have him do your nose. That just doesn't make sense. But people do it all the time. And um, look at their before and after pictures, even if they don't publish them online. A lot of physicians will have a catalog in office that you can flip through and see uh, their outcomes, especially for black women. You know, this isn't to say that there aren't, you know, great doctors of all ethnicities doing great work. But going to a non-black physician and trying to explain your aesthetic goals as a black woman, which often are particular to black women in black culture, is kind of confusing to me. I'm not sure why people insist on doing that when there's a plethora of black plastic surgeons out there who, you know, you can skip half of that conversation. Like, I want more curves, but I don't want to look fake. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> they know. Because it's a very specific, like, butt to thigh to hip ratio right. that you can just look at and be like, oh, like, just assume it's real versus that's fake. You know? Yeah. Of course absolutely. you know, because if you do this. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and a lot of the time patients will try and explain something to me and, you know, and you got to make sure it's a good fit when you go in for that consultation. A lot of times people just ignore that spidey sense that's like, yeah, I don't really like this guy. or I don't really like this girl. Uh, we don't really mesh. Or they said a couple things that turned me off. Go with that. You know, it's really important. You're about to spend thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. Be absolutely sure that you actually mesh with this person, because if, God forbid, you do encounter um, any kind of complications, you also want to make sure that that person's bedside manner sort of fits with what you would want if you're dealing with something um, and, and that they're there for you and that their personality is going to be a comfort to you and they're not going to be like, you know, <laughs> oh, this jerk, I never liked him to begin with and now I have a complication and I have to have him hold my hand through it and he's not a hand holder. Yeah, um, I can treat it like a product. Right. I hear this all the time from patients. They say they never met the surgeon before the day of surgery. Mm -hmm. um, they say that their consultation was with a salesperson who basically just, if you come in asking for a BBL, they're going to be like, okay, great, here's the BBL. This is what we'll give you. And this is how much it's going to cost. And you meet your surgeon on the day of surgery. I guess I don't understand that at all because everyone is different, you know, <laughs> That's no matter crazy. what. 
Mm-hmm. What's the, the range of cost for, say, like a good BBL? That is entirely dependent on geography. So I will say it's cheaper in some places than others. So um, in some place like New York, it's going to be like between ten and 20000 or And in LA, that's probably the case too. Um, and in Atlanta, it's probably going to be between ten and 15000 um, And then Miami tends to be a little bit cheaper. At least that's what I hear a lot from, from patients, from people who are price shopping, which is something I do not recommend doing. But they'll tell me about some advertised price or send my um, uh, send my patient coordinator an advertisement for like six thousand dollars, five thousand dollars, four thousand dollars. It's almost like a race to the bottom for some of those practices. But as you said, I mean, you spend time <laughs> at the at the Louis Vuitton store shopping for your bag and paying a premium for that because you associate quality uh, with the price that you're paying. And the same goes for your shoes, your phone, your watch your other things in your life, I don't see why your healthcare should be any different. Well, I have to ask the inevitable question because what sparked this conversation, at least for us, was Mm -hmm. a bunch of Black women seemingly, according to the caption, coming from DR when they got BBLs for much, much cheaper. Why shouldn't women, I'm going to say Black women, but why should we keep it in the States as opposed to going to DR? Because it seems like a bunch of people go there and they get their bodies done and they look great. Yeah, I would say the feedback I hear from people about why they go there is um, price is a huge factor, undeniably. Um, Secondary to that, um, there's a lot of really clever marketing and um, almost like a belief that I'm going to get more snacks if I go to the DR because they don't follow the rules, which is really interesting. Um, (laughs) Yeah, almost because what we do, what we tend to do here in the States board-certified plastic surgeons tend to avoid um, removing too much fat at one time because there's just um, an inherent danger in terms of fluid loss, blood loss, and electrolyte imbalance you don't want to inflict on a, on a, a healthy person. So um, you try to stay, the recommendation from the American Society of Plastic Surgeons has been around five liters of fat, which is a good amount. It's, it's, it's more than two Coke bottles full of, of fat. Um, Whereas I guess in the Dominican Republic, they're not necessarily bound by those guidelines and those recommendations. And so they can happily take 10 liters of fat off of a person and, and don't see anything wrong with that. And it's not a guarantee of a bad outcome, but you're far more likely to end up with a really dehydrated patient who just does not feel well after surgery. So I think there's that. It's like, oh, they'll bend the rules and do a little bit more fat than they'll do in the States um, and the cost. And um, then there's that word of mouth factor. You have that girlfriend who went and had it done and she only paid $3,000 or $3,500 and she had a great outcome. So you're just going to go there. Um, And it's just become really popular. Social media plays a huge role. I mean, without social media, none of these physicians would be able to reach American patients in the way that they are. And and then it just spreads like wildfire. But that first, the, the biggest and most important, I think, driving force is cost because you can't get uh, the treatment for prices uh, for the same prices in the states. I think what people need to not lose sight of is is that it's still healthcare, even though it's a quote unquote cosmetic surgery. It's still healthcare. You're still going under anesthesia in many cases. Um, so now you're talking about not only the the plastic surgeon, but the anesthesiologist, the nursing team, um, their equipment. Is their equipment up to date with stand, same standards as the United States? In all likelihood, no. Um, is, is uh, what are their emergency procedures? Is there a hospital nearby to which you're gonna be transferred in the event of emergency? Is everyone in the room 
um, ACLS or, or basic life support uh, trained so that if your heart stops, that everyone in the room knows what to do and they fall into a rhythm. All those things are regulations that are in place and, and a given at an accredited facility in the United States that you may be forfeiting when you hop on a plane and go to um, what most would consider a develop, developing country to have surgery. And, and the last bit that doesn't really make sense is if what's your recourse if something goes wrong, um, mm-hmm. right? God forbid something should go wrong. You, you, I get at least a call a week, you know, from a patient who has had surgery either abroad or somewhere and they have no follow-up. And so now they're looking for a local surgeon to take out their drains, to look at, they may have a fluid collection or they're having a wound healing issue or just questions, you know, <laughs> you want to see your surgeon and talk to them after surgery. But for a lot of these guys, you know, um, for the low, low price of, you know, $3,000 or whatever it is, they're done with you. You get on a plane and, and, and sometimes you may have trouble even reaching them after that. Um, and they'll tell you, oh, you can go to your primary doctor to take out drains. Most primary doctors are not comfortable removing drains because they're just not surgical people. So you're calling around looking for a surgeon to help you. And most surgeons are like, okay, what I don't want to do and I'm not going to do is step in where someone took over for another country and take over from someone for another country. I have no idea what they did. Now all that liability is potentially mine. Um, and I think people don't talk about that part enough before they get all excited and hop on a plane. I think it's like going to be like this surgical vacation. I've heard horror stories, horror stories of what people find on the other end. You know, they maybe went for their initial consultation and things were great. When they go back, they're sitting in a waiting room, waiting till 11 o'clock at night, 1, 1 a.m. to have their surgery, nothing to eat or drink all day, waiting. The surgeon is too busy. The surgeon's exhausted. The surgeon is overwhelmed with the volume of patients that they're doing that one day. They push their surgery to the next day. I'm speaking of a particular story that um, a friend brought to my attention out of a, a girl out of Chicago, I think, who has a GoFundMe now. Uh, and they did a completely different surgery than what she signed up for. She was horribly botched and sent home. Oh now, God. what's her recourse? Yeah, her breasts are going to, from my, what I can see in the pictures, and I wish her all the best. And, you know, it, it, they're going to need reconstructive surgery, not just someone to come along and do a revision. And um, she, she's raising money, thankfully. Um, but, yeah, it's going to cost her. She's raising, I think her goal is $25,000. Think about that. A person is like, okay, I don't want to pay $10,000 to have it in the States. So I'll go to the DR or Colombia or Mexico and have it done for $3,500, $4,000. But if you have a problem, it's going to cost you a lot more in the States to fix it. And that's just for the cosmetic cost. She's in, if, she, if you don't have health insurance and you end up in hospitalized with an infection, um, getting IV antibiotics for a few days, that's costly. If you, God forbid, have to go to the ICU, which happens to people. And I think what's irritating to me is, you know, we hear about it, the plastic surgeons, we hear about it all the time. We get these calls to our office from people who have issues and and have questions or concerns. Um, But it's like the internet doesn't hear about it. (laughs) The internet only sees the, you know, snatched results that look great. But I don't think anybody, um, people don't necessarily, uh, they're not as candid with these outcomes as the person who's like, yeah, I went to DR, got snatched by Dr. So-and-so, you need to go and you know, have a good time and it's all fun. Um, so I commend the young ladies who have had these experiences and actually come out and say, hey, think twice. You're giving up a lot and the cost is not worth it. Stay in the States. Stay in the States. And the last thing is like for this poor young lady I'm thinking about, she just came to mind. Who's she suing? You know, if um, 
<laughs> if you're botched by me, uh, as much as I may not like it, that's the, it's just part of our system here. You have a lot of things that you can go through, a lot of protections that you have in place in the United States to make sure that we make it right, um, that you're happy in the end. And it's, I'm incentivized to do so because I don't want you to be unhappy, one, one running around uh, besmirching my name. And then two, I don't want a lawsuit on my hands. So I have a lot of incentive to make it right with you. Whereas I feel like, okay, what is that? What are you going to do to that doctor in the DR? You're going to have to find an attorney who specializes in medical malpractice and has some kind of expertise in inter- international law. So that's going to cost. So yeah, all those things. That was a very long response to the question. No, it was a very good and detailed response. Thank you so much for being <laughs> thorough. Has there been a rise in the number of procedures or women seeking procedures since you began practicing? Definitely. Yeah, I think some of it's social media and reality TV, I would say, are both of the entities I would credit with this sharp rise. Oh. Yeah, people see it more. They're that famous family over in LA where everybody, you know, has, is beautiful and has plastic surgery and they're all successful and they have full lips and shapely bodies. I mean, you know, that people see this stuff and they, they see it as accessible, um, especially like the Real Housewives, you know. Um, these are real people who are not actors, right? Who are having procedures done, who from one season to the next look so much better. Um, and people are uh, waking up, especially black women, to the reality that like, okay, uh, people who don't star in movies are actually getting this stuff done. Wow, okay. And then you go on social media and you see even more and the accessibility. And most plastic surgeons are on social media, you know, sharing their craft and um, letting you know like how these things work. So people, the education... And the access has increased so much um, that it's led to an inevitable sharp rise in, in the consumption of these of these procedures, which is great for us. Um, <laughs> but there is that dark side to it. There's there's the seeing the accessibility of it, and then there's also, I think, the shift in beauty standards. Which I mean, it's across yeah. the board. It's everything from like everyone's expected to have a flat stomach and a big ass. And then everyone's expected to be in full makeup with a contour. And then everyone's edges have to be laid. If not mm-hmm. a good weave, then a lace. Like there's a mm-hmm. very specific standard of beauty that is frankly unattainable outside of like taking a couple pictures. Yes, absolutely. And I, it's amazing that most people don't realize that like, this is a frame. This is a picture. This was a setup. There's lighting. But I think social media has um, it been ingenious in its ability to put this in our face so much and convince women in particular that this is normal. This is every day. This is how you're going to look when you go to public. Like, and, and it's not possible. It's not it's an impossible beauty standard to achieve. In fact, with the advent of these um, editing apps like Facetune, it's not even possible for the people posting these pictures. Mm-hmm. They're actually That's editing right. their photos. You know, they're, they're, squeezing in their waistlines and, and, and narrowing their noses and whatnot and touching up their, even their pictures. So, um, yeah, I hate to blame social media, but um, I think that it has led to this emergence of an impossible beauty standard that young women feel like they need to keep up with. Um, and it's unfortunate. And it seems to be affecting a younger and younger demographic as time goes on. The woman I mentioned earlier, I also interviewed her for the show, but she was saying how like her youngest daughter in high school 
like the girls all have long weaves and they have the eyelashes and like they contour their faces. And she's like, Dimitri, I'm talking about like 14 year olds, like, like the freshmen. You don't remember doing that, do you? At 14, I I remember like sweating out my freshman curl at 14. Uh, (laughs) I wasn't allowed to weave makeup. None of, not at 14. No, No. I remember a battle to even be able to wear like lip gloss without color, just shine for my class picture. Yeah. yeah. And now this. And I don't know where this is headed, but it seems like a race to the bottom. These young women, they're so impressionable and their self-esteem is so fragile at this point. I don't think we want the message we want to teach them is that they have to do this much work on themselves simply to be presentable, simply to go to class and get an education. And I'm not against beauty. Anyone who knows me is like, you know, when I'm ready to go out, I'm practically like a drag queen. I love makeup. I always have. I love beauty. Um, and I practice very much what I preach, but I do think there's a limit. And if you catch me on a Saturday at the Publix, it's probably with a baseball cap on and um, <laughs> no makeup. So I think there's just, there's got to be a balance. And I think um, in part because of social media and, and reality television, I think we've slipped away from that a lot. A lot. What is the secret to getting like the right hip to ass to thigh ratio when doing a BBL? Mm-hmm. Is there a secret? I, I can't say so much as it's a secret as it's, it's, it's the art form of it. Um, because anybody, I would say, can just dump a bunch of fat into a, a butt. Anybody can do that. But um, the where it goes is different for everyone. One, depending on their just anatomy, what they come to the table with. And two, what their goals are. I'll say the most popular shape of butt right now is the upside down heart. So people like, you know, the fullness at the top and then the narrowing towards the top. I mean, the fullness at the bottom and the narrowing towards the top, heading into that waist, which gives you a nice uh, a waist contour. Um, but for everyone, it's different because everyone's bone structure is also um, different. Some people naturally actually have wider um, hips, uh, significantly wider hips in their bone structure than their waist. And all that's sort of masking it is a couple of inches of subcutaneous fat, fat under the skin. Whereas others are built a little bit more athletically. So you're going to have to do a little bit more hip um, padding, a little more grafting into the hips to create that ratio. So that's, I always, I always attribute it to, in my opinion, that's the art form of it. I don't think there's like a mathematical equation that will apply to everyone and fix everyone's problems in the same manner. I was just trying to help in case there's. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, so if you go, you can tell your doctor, like, this is the ratio. Okay. This is the ratio that we want. No, you know, um, and it's interesting. I think most people come with, um, especially in their abdominal area, their trunk, they actually just have the amount of fat that they need to augment their butt in a way that's still natural, but very noticeable um, in a good way. So you know, when you, when you find people going back for round twos and round threes and stuff, I think that's when you start to um, end up with the less natural results and, um, and uh, ratios that are a little off. Is that like a thing that a lot of people get, I guess, a BBL more than once? Because I'm thinking of like a particular actress who I will not name, but she posted mm-hmm. a picture the other day and like, I was like, oh, I think I like the body, like two bot two contours before this as opposed yeah. to this one, because this one's giving me wisdom too, but like two two bodies back, <laughs> she was on point. Yeah, that is definitely a thing. And and it's it's common even for non-celebrities. People are like, I'm getting ready for my round two. They just know um, certain patients will come to you with an aesthetic that, they're, that is their goal and based on um, what they have anatomically to begin with. 
you already know as a surgeon, you're not going to be able to achieve that aesthetic, that look with one round of surgery. So you kind of give them a heads up that this will take two rounds of fat grafting to achieve. Um, but then there is the extreme where people get three and four and every ounce of fat in their bodies they want pumped into their butt. Um, and that's when you end up with a person who looks like an ant, <laughs> you know, with yeah. the little skinny legs and the, the big butt um, and the skinny everything else, right? Um, but then there's also the, um, I will say there's, there's still that undercurrent of illegal injections happening as well that help people who are on the smaller side achieve these enormous bottoms that just don't make sense because they never had that much fat on their body. Um, so there are people still t- partaking in that, even though it's dangerous. And I would oh, still doing injections. Highly- I thought we'd move. Oh, on no, people are still doing them. People are still doing them much to my disappointment. Um, and there's a whole huge population of women who have had them, have had adverse outcomes and, um, and need help. I, I thought we'd moved on from that because I guess, you know, I hadn't heard people talking about it. So I was like, okay, maybe we're all going to get BBLs now. Okay. No, you know, there's still that. And then there's even, I mean, and I will not name names, there's celebrities who have started out, you know, years ago, they got the illegal injections, but, um, and didn't necessarily have those horrible, tragic outcomes from it. But, you know, we're left with the hard, um, palpable, like you could feel them kind of rock-like formations in their butt that, you can sort of graft around those over time and uh, try to hide them. And so their butts got bigger and bigger and bigger and they keep grafting around that. So they kind of started with a little bit of the legal foundation and built on that with that. Um, that's actually really common. Yikes. But people are still doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds painful. Like rock like substances is. in your ass. It is. And, and, and you just have to sit there. It's a ticking time bomb and you just have to hope it doesn't get infected. Um, and that, or that whatever bacteria actually is in there, because most of this stuff is not sterile, it's not medical in any way. It's just like caulking being injected into your butt, which has all kinds of weird bacteria in it. You just have to hope that your body, the amazing machine that it is, has walled it off enough to contain whatever's in there and, and it'll just stay dormant. Is there sure. anything that I didn't ask you about that you want me to? That's all of my questions, but I feel like, is there something that I'm missing? No, actually, you like totally hit on everything. And I, I, I listen to your show so much. And so I, sh- I should definitely be prepared for this question. But you actually asked me everything that I would um, want to put out there. We've covered all the, the high points and, uh, and some of the lows. <laughs> and some of the lows, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. This has been like wildly informative. I had no clue what you were going to say. I was like, where is this going to go? It's going to be interesting. Yeah. That's half the battle. And and informative, hopefully, for the people. Definitely informative. Definitely informative. No, there is something sitting on the top of my head, but I can't Mm -hmm. think of what the question would be. Is there a particular person or people that when your clients come in and they say, I want to look like X? I don't get that so much as I don't want to look like X. I get that a Mm. lot. Mm -hmm. Especially when it comes to the BBL. They're very specific about there are two names that come up maybe three pretty consistently that people like, I don't want to look like that. I can kind of guess. Who yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm thinking about people who look a little either wisdom toothy or botched. Yes. And you, you just, yeah, they come in they say, I want to look good. I want a big bottom. I want that aesthetic, but I don't want to look like X. And it's three people in particular that get named every single time. I guess bottoms are the most popular thing. Mm-hmm. And then noses. No, actually it would be a uh, tummy tucks. Um, and mm. just, uh-huh, liposuction in general, then breast. Interesting. 
Yeah. And black people don't touch their noses frequently. It doesn't happen commonly. It's not something, it's not one of our most common uh, demographically procedures that we seek out. Because Again, <laughs> we're scared of ending up looking a certain way. So um, we just leave it alone. Yeah. I think black people have a thing with like touching your face. A hundred percent. Yeah. Black people in particular, that's the last part that we're worried about. In fact, it usually happens in that, in that, order that my patients will come to me about breast, tummy, butt, thighs, anything. And then in the recovery phase, once they've kind of improved that, they may decide, hey, you know, this, uh, like this jowling here has always bothered me. Or what can we do about this neck area mm. um, later on? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I see. Sort of like that. Renovating the house, you know? Yeah. Especially for like <laughs> your, the age of your clients, like the, um, the jowling thing mm-hmm. starts to like kick in around 40 mm-hmm. like something. Yeah. Yeah. And black people don't age in the same way as our lighter counterparts. We tend not to have those fine surface area wrinkles. We, we just sag eventually, but we don't have a bunch of black doesn't crack like that. No, it spreads. It may sag. It's, yeah. It doesn't really crack. Yeah, it may sag, but it doesn't crack like, like some people, thankfully. thankfully. That's the gift of melanin. Um, yeah. 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 You got to really like hit the bottle or the, the drugs or have an illness even then. Hard life, just hard life to, for it to really show before, I'd say, your mid to late 40. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or a lot of weight loss or weight gain. Yes, ma'am. Oh, do you do that too? Do you like, um, for people who, you know, lost a lot of weight, um, quote unquote, mm-hmm. the natural way, like sometimes their skin will hang? Do you like pull that all together too? Yeah. Awesome. I sure do. I even do it for the people who have done it the, the surgical way because um, they can have really dramatic skin uh, left over. Oh, with the lap bands and things? Mm-hmm. 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 And it can be unfortunate because they have a whole bunch of skin that almost makes them feel like they were better off fat. So, yeah, that's a whole other kettle of fish. That's, yeah. Where can my listeners find you? Because, <laughs> like, they may be like, you know what, Dr. Ruth Celestin, she seems knowledgeable and informative. Let me go see her work. I might want to go to her. Well, yeah. Get my butt done. Well, they can check me out. On the notorious Instagram at Celestial, like the heavens, Celestial Plastic Surgery. And they can also check me out on Facebook, same handle, Celestial Plastic Surgery. And my website is CelestialPlasticSurgery.com. Girl, you running your own office? Yes. Girl. I work for me. Yes. Yes, honey. Yes. In general, the, the listening audience tends to be like very like boss chicks. Like, I've never thrown any question out where I was like, I need a neurosurgeon. And like, three black neurosurgeons appear. I'm just like, y'all really be on it. Yeah, like, here we go. Here we go. I know. I know. Well, you really be on it with you. You're gathering us because, you know, the ratchet and the respectable. We, we've got our degrees, plural, but we also are still black women. Yes. And so here we are relating to everything you're saying, talking to you like friends in our yeah. head. So my Aunt Rosie <laughs> used to tell me, like, an intelligent woman knows a little bit about a lot of things. So, you know, respectable things. Yes. And ratchet things. Yes. So, yes. And some ratchet things. Some ratchet things. So, a yeah. well-balanced woman, I think. I believe so as well. Awesome. She's so good, right? So good. I love you guys. I swear. Like, that, that last part that I was saying, that, like, I could really be like, I need a black neurosurgeon. And then, like, three of you would appear. And and I was like, how did you guys find me? Thank you for being here, but how did you get here? So fascinating. That is the episode for this week. Thank you, as always, for listening to Ratchet and Respectable. So we will speak again next week. My odyssey will have begun by then. 
But if you need some ratchet and respectable in your life between now and next episode, please follow me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Demetria L. Lucas. That's probably not everything, but that's all for now. We'll talk again soon. Bye. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.